0: Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church of Savannah, Georgia. You're listening to the series Bless the Lord, a study on the book of Psalms. For more information about CBC, please visit www.cbcofsavannah.org. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from God's Word. exalted high. Uh, You are seated at the right hand of your Father after making full atonement for our sins. And so we're here to worship and glorify and enjoy what you have done for us. And I pray that this will be a celebration today, that we would celebrate who you are and what you have done. I pray as we open the word and we look at another song, that it would draw us to yourself, that it would get us excited about you, that the living word would uh, just make us respond in a, in a living way. And that, Lord, is something that you have to do because I certainly cannot do it. I need to be awoken so many times and I find myself dry so many times and so I need this text. And so I ask that your spirit would fill me, uh, that it would empower me, that it would add to or take away from my words so in the end, Jesus, your church is, is built up and encouraged and that your name is glorified in this place that you are honored, that you are worshiped, that you are exalted. It's for your name and your reputation we pray, amen. Thanks, you guys have a seat. I told the first service, it is nice doing three and not four, I'm just telling you. It is, I'm like, oh man, I didn't even know what we were missing, I feel like I'm not even working today. if, you're not, if you're, uh, you weren't here last week and you are a regular, just a kind of reminder to go to the web and download the podcast or stream it or whatever at some point in the next week or so, just because we, we covered kind of some things for the fall and want you to be aware of it. There's kind of a little blurb on the website as well, but just want you to be aware of what's going on and, and not be like, oh, I didn't even know that. So, it's, there's some, probably mention of it in the bulletin, but go to the website at some point this week. Maybe you're driving somewhere, and you can listen to that podcast, and you can catch up what you missed last week. We have been in a series on the Psalms. We've called it Bless the Lord, because our desire is for us just to be a church that worships, uh, that, that we cultivate worship in our lives, not, through, not only just through singing, but just that we're worshipers, that the first commandment, that we'd love God with all our whole soul, mind, and strength, would be true, uh, and that we would live lives of worship. We've looked at some great songs, and we're going to look at another great one this morning. There is this great scene in The Empire Strikes Back, which is by far the best Star Wars movie. Um, and, uh, you know, I got to have my Star Wars reference. So, the, Luke Skywalker has been told by Ben Kenobi go find Yoda. He is in the Dagobah system. He's going to finish your training. So, what does Luke do? He takes the X Wing out, he crashes it, and he gets out, and he's frustrated, and there's this little green dude two foot tall with a cane, and says, help you, I can. Find your friend. He you know, reverses word order, verb, you know, subject. But he seems to be a helpful dude, which Luke tries to kind of blow him off. He says, I'm looking for a great warrior. Right? You can't help me. To which he responds, war does not make one great. And so he should be like, okay, this is a smart little dude here. I should be listening to this guy. But, he, but he's blowing him off, and he has very low expectations because in his mind, he's looking for the Jedi master, Yoda. And Yoda is not two feet tall with a cane. He must be some giant warrior dude. So that's what he's looking for. And then he finds out, as you know well, that this little dude is the master, that he is the bomb when it comes to Jedi Knights. And it's, it's complete shock to him. It's unexpected. This little guy is gonna teach me to be a great warrior? Can't happen, right? An unlikely source. The psalm we're going to look at this morning, it's written from an unlikely source. It's one of the more famous psalms that is sung, that is memorized, that is, that is taught. And it's ultimately about the greatness of God and, and his delight in who he is. And if you were to ask, you know, well, if, if it's a great psalm and it's about God and his greatness, then it must have been written by David because David was a man after God's own heart and he wrote most of the psalms. So this has got to be a psalm by, by King David. It's not. Well, it, then it must be written by Moses because Moses was a man who saw God face to face and was the humblest man who ever lived. And if anyone knew God, Moses knew God. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. Must be written by Moses, not by Moses. Well, Solomon then, he wrote a couple of Psalms and he's the wisest man who ever lived. It's gotta be written by Solomon. Solomon, he, it's, it's a Psalm by him. If it's gonna be about God and, and it's a great, no, not by Solomon. Well, what about the sons of Asaph? They were great musicians. They were the musicians of the day, the worship leaders. They were kind of the the guys who wrote all the good songs. If it's a great psalm, it must be written by the sons of Asaph, right? By them, not by them. None of them. In fact, if I were to tell you that it was written, this song we're going to look at today is written by a guy, if you gave him a job title, it will be somewhere between the mixture of custodian and security guard. What would you think? the little green guy, right? He can't write a song. Now, it wasn't called that. In his day, it had a different title. He was called a doorkeeper. But his job was basically he'd open it up in the morning, he'd stand by the door all day, he'd close up at night, and then he'd go and he'd clean. We call that a security guard or a custodian, right? And, but, but this is the guy who wrote this song. Can you learn something from that guy? Can you learn something about God and worship from a security guard custodian? I hope so. Because even though, here's a guy in his day, if you were were living in that day and you went to the temple, you wouldn't even notice the guy. You'd walk right by him and not even notice. He's almost invisible. And his job was the most menial of jobs in those days. His was the least important job in the temple. But yet he knew something about worship and he knew something about God, and he has some lessons to teach us this morning. And so turn, if you haven't already with me, to Psalm 84, to this song of a security guard, song of a custodian. And as usual, we're going to kind of briefly cover the background Um, of it, and then we'll jump in, and I'm going to read it in its entirety. Here's the background of the song, and each, many of the psalms have their little kind of background up front so you know what they're about. It says, To the Choir Master. So this is a song that's going to be sung by everybody. The choir leader is going to lead this song, but it's a song for public worship, and it's according to the Giddeth, which most scholars would agree is some sort of musical instrument, likely a stringed instrument. So if it was written today, it would say, According to the Telecaster or to the Les Paul, So those who think that the guitar is the devil's instruments, don't tell them about the psalm, okay? Because here's a song that was written to be led by the modern-day guitar for them, and it's a psalm of the sons of Korah. Now, the Korites were Levites, and their main job, according to 1 Chronicles 26, was they were the gatekeepers. They were the branch of the Levites who cleaned up, opened up, guarded the door. That's what they did. Now, some of them could sing, and some of them wrote songs. A couple of Psalms are written by them, but that was their main job. And this guy, we're gonna find it later in verse 10, that he is a doorkeeper. That's his job. And he's gonna teach us some things. And so there's three lessons really throughout this Psalm and they're all couched around the, this blessed statement. He's gonna make three blessed statements. You can translate it content, satisfied, happy. And the three lessons are wrapped around those words. So let me read it in its entirety and we'll come back and kind of talk about it a little bit closer. How lovely is your dwelling place Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Bacchah, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Salah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Well, he starts out, Super passionate, doesn't he? I mean, he can feel the emotion and the passion as, he, as he's writing this song, as he's singing it. Oh, how lovely. Literally, it means how, how beloved. How much do I love your dwelling place? My soul longs for it. Yes, it, it faints, literally the word. I, it pines for the courts of the Lord. My heart and they, my flesh, they sing for joy. You see the emotion and passion? And what for? What is he so passionate about? He tells us three times the dwelling place of God, the courts of the Lord. Down in verse 4, the the house of the Lord. Right? He's passionate about what? What what is he saying? He's passionate about the temple. He, He longs to be at the temple, he longs to be present there. And it's not just the place. He's not saying, Well, I like going to church. That's not what he's saying. A nice place, got great coffee, you know, good good place. That that's not the heart of it. What is the temple for the Old Testament Jew? It is the place where God dwells. It is the place where his word is taught, where his people pray, where he is honored and exalted. It is the place where his Shekinah glory falls and rests. It is the one place where you can get in those days close to God. It is as close as you can get to the living God in that temple where you go to draw near to God. And that is the language. That is the heart here. That is what he's longing for. Again, he says, I'm, I wanna be where you are, the Lord of hosts, the God of, of, the, of the hosts. And, and that word host, it doesn't kind of translate well in English. We think of the host as the lady at Outback that tells us you got 15 minutes to wait. And it's really not that impressive if God is the God of the lady at Outback, but if he's the God of the armies of heavens, which is what it means that he is the the sovereign one, some of your translations say, that he is Lord over all, that is something else. And that's the idea behind it. He says, I wanna be where you, the sovereign God, are. That place is awesome. I wanna be there. Where you are, the the living God, is what he calls him. Not some statue, not some cow, not some, some tree, something carved and made by human hands. The God who lives, the God who acts, the God who speaks, the God who loves, the God who moves and hears prayer. You are alive, and my heart sings for joy to you. Right? And then he calls him again. Verse three he says, Even the sparrow finds a home, the swallow, and nests for herself at your altars, O sovereign one again, O God of the armies, O God of hosts. And then he calls him this, this. He uses language that is so rare in the Old Testament personal language. He says, My God, my king. There's a personalness there, which really you don't really see much of until you get to the New Testament. Here's this security guard custodian who's saying, the sovereign God of the universe who is alive is mine. And I just wanna be where he is. That's what I want. And he uses poetic language here. He says, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself. As a doorkeeper, he stands by the gates and by the walls. And in the walls of the temple, birds would make nests, little sparrows and little, little uh, swallows. And he's saying, how great is it that they get to build their home right here where you are? They get to have little, little baby sparrows and little baby swallows close to you. I just want to be close to you, God. God. Why? Here's this great statement, because verse four, blessed, you can say content, happy, satisfied, blessed, happy are those who dwell in your house, these little birds, ever singing your praise. I just want to be close, because that's where contentment and satisfaction is. And this is the first lesson from our custodian. He is teaching a lesson, he's singing about contentment and about satisfaction, and about true happiness. He says, you wanna be content? You wanna know where that comes? You know who the, who the blessed person really is? It's the person that's close to you. It's the person who has communion with the living God. And the first lesson this unexpected custodian slash security guard wants to, would be shouting to us if he was here this morning is true contentment, true satisfaction comes when you pursue closeness with the living God with the God of the universe. That's where it is. When I take Milton, the sanctifying dog out, we have this field next to our house, and Milton's got all these little toys. He's got sticks and balls and these little rabbits, stuffed animals that he tears up and throws around, right? And, and he'll grab one. Milton's problem is he can only grab one thing at a time. He'll have this one thing, and if I wanna get that one thing out of his mouth, all I have to do is get this other thing and wave it in front of him. And what's gonna happen? He drops this one and he wants that one. And then I can pick that one right back up and I can put it in front of his face. And you know what he's gonna do? He's gonna drop this one and go right after that one. He he wants whatever he does not have. And I thought about that this week and I said, that is the human heart. We want often what we do not have. I want the promotion. I get the promotion. I want the next promotion. I, right? I, I want the raise, get the raise. I want that race. I'll be happy if my husband was like her husband. I'd be happy if I was two sizes smaller. I'd be happy if I had. And there's just that next thing. And this guy is saying there is only one thing in the universe that if you have it, you won't want something else, and that is closeness with the living God. It's the only thing. It says I work every day at the gates of the Lord, and I cannot get enough. I want more and more. It is the one thing that will never disappoint, that will never go old. You will not be in heaven in a bazillion years, and I know a bazillion's not a number, but bear with me. You, in a bazillion years, you're not gonna say, this place is kinda getting old. I, 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 you know, I'm kinda bored. Now, it's been the same thing for a bazillion years. It will never grow old. Intimacy with, with the living God will never grow dull. And he's, try, he's trying to sing about that. No, that is what I want. And here's the thing that's challenging about this. If you know anything about the Old Testament and the temple, you know that there's a tension. There's, you can draw near to God, but you can only get so close. You can't, you, can't go, you can't really have true closeness. You can only get so close. There's a beauty of the Shekinah glory, but there's a fear of it. Don't get too close to it, because if you do, you die. Here, here's a model of the Somalic Temple, which is probably the temple this guy was serving in, all right? This is the beautiful gate, this is the main gate. This is probably where this guy's standing most of the time. There's a couple gates on the side, but this is the main gate in. And he's a Levite, so he's got special access. He can go further than most. This, This area right in here, this is called the Court of Women. Ladies, it's a great place. You can hang out there all day if you want, right? That's where the ladies could go, but they couldn't go any further. This door right here, this led to the court of men, but the men could only go right inside the door. You couldn't go any further. So so ladies in here, men could go in here. If you were a Levite, you could go anywhere in this area. There's gonna be a big altar right here. There's some wash basins right here. All the Levites could serve in here, but they couldn't go in that door. That is called the holy place. And only if you were a priest could you go in here. Here's a model of the side here. So here's that front door. Only very few men from the line of Aaron could go in here. There's there's the candlesticks, there's the table of showbread, there's an altar of incense. They could go in there. And then there's a curtain right here that separates the holy place from the holy of holies. And in here was the Ark of the Covenant. And only one guy, one time per year, could go in there on the Day of Atonement. And he would put blood on the altar and then he would get out quick because that was where God dwelled. And you couldn't just go in there, only one guy because there was a limit. And if it was us, most of us who are just Gentiles, you know where you're stuck? Out here. This is called the court of Gentiles. You can't even go in the door. As close as you could get, right? In fact, the apostle Paul is accused in the book of Acts of trying to bring someone in. He didn't do it, but trying to bring someone in this door and they about kill him. If you were a Gentile living in those days and you tried to go through that door, you're dead, done. Right? Because there's a distinction. There's a separation. No one gets to go in here. One guy once per year. Very few in here. A few guys in here. And most people are stuck out here. There's a distance between God and man. Until what? Until the cross. And what happens when Jesus is crucified? What happens in the temple? Remember what happens? There's a temple veil that's real thick. I mean, it's inches thick. It's not just a little piece of cloth. It is real thick. And when Jesus dies, that thing is torn from top to bottom. Not bottom to top, top to bottom, showing who did it. God do it, because he's the only one that could rip it. Opening up the holy of holies, the holy place. Now everybody, Gentiles included, are welcome in. And it is a radical change in the way we deal with God. It's not just one guy once per year. It's all of us, all the time, are welcomed and invited in to the presence of God. Just think about this guy. Back here here in verse 4, he says, I just want to be as close as I can get. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. And then he says this word salah, which just means think about it. It's a musical interlude. It's kind of a couple measures of music so you can think about what he's just said. He can only go so far and he is content and happy to get that far. He could never dream of the closeness that we have with the the living God, which for us, That takes on a whole new meaning, doesn't it? That Christ was dead and now he's alive. He is the living God that we have hoped of resurrection because of him. He could never dream that he'd have open access to the God who is sovereign, the one who chose you, the one who loves you, the one who hears you, the one who draws you, the one who invites you in and makes it so you can come. He never could dream about how personal God is, who he says, you are now my children you are now heirs. My, my son is your brother. You can call me dad. You can call me father. He couldn't dream of that. He's content to be distant. How much more is the New Testament church have access to God? And I think the reason he wants to think about it is he wants us to think about that. And if you're just, well, that's great. We have access to God. What are we having for lunch? Then you're missing the, 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 the passion of this man how great it is to be close to the living God. Just think about that. Because when you really think about it, and if you could see God right now face to face and his might and his power and his sovereignty, it would not be something that you take lightly. It would not. And that he chose you and that he hears your prayer and that he loves you. That's why he says, think on it, church, think. Because when you really think about that, what will the response be? It's gonna be what he does. I will sing for joy. It'll be worship. It's gonna be worship. When you realize what God has done, it will be worship. That's his first lesson. But here's the problem. Here's my problem. Sometimes that becomes blah. Sometimes I am dry. Sometimes I am spiritually just blah, feel distant. Anybody else? Am I the only one? Heard a great story from one of my favorite preachers this week, Alistair Begg. A man and his wife, she said, Johnny, it's time to get time to go to church. Get up. I don't feel like going. Johnny, it's Sunday. You gotta go to church. No, I don't. Come on, we're gonna be late. I just don't see what good it's gonna do. Johnny, you're 40 years old. Stop acting like a child. You can't make me go. You have to go, Johnny, you're the pastor. <laughs> Sometimes, that's, that's how we feel, isn't it? There's a dryness. There's a... I think this, this security guard has, has encouragement for us there, too, because he seems to be going through the same thing. Look at verse five. He says, blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. He doesn't wait till the end of his paragraph to say the blessing statement. He says it up front. Here's where the blessed people are. Those who have strength in you. And then it's this parallel statement. Remember, Hebrew poetry has parallel statements where they complete each other and they contradict. And this one describes what he's talking about. He says, blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. That's kind of a little wooden, so I I put some paraphrases up there for you to help out what he's saying. The, The idea there is those who have their minds set on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. That's a good translation. Or those who long to travel the roads that lead to your temple, another good idea. See, the reality is not everyone gets to live in Jerusalem. You got folks up in Ephraim and Dan, you got folks down in Benjamin, you got folks live up in Issachar in the mountains and they're all over. They don't get to be at the temple. They don't just go every Sunday or Saturday to the tabernacle, right? They don't have access like this guy. And the picture is three times a year, men were required to go up to Jerusalem for three different feasts. And the picture is these guys, they don't get to live there. They may be up on the coast or they may be up in the mountains, but they want to be there. Their, their desire is to be on the road to Jerusalem, on the road to where the presence of God is. That's where their heart is. But as they desire to go, what happens sometimes? Verse six, as they go through the valley of Baca, what's that? This sounds mean, right? Baca. you know, say it. It sounds mean because it really is mean. The word "baka" means weeping, a valley of weeping. And there's a valley on the road to Jerusalem that's known as this dry, weary, desolate, waterless, hot place. It's not a pleasant place. And it's on the road, it's part of the path to Jerusalem. And he says, as they go. He doesn't say if they go, or maybe they'll go. When they go through Baqa." Here's the reality. All of us, at some point, find ourselves in the valley of Baqa. We feel dry. We're waterless. It could be depression. It could be loneliness. It could be physical pain. It could be tired. It could be just no heart for spiritual things. It could be any, any dry thing. I don't want to go to church, Johnny. I don't want to do anything. Be, anyone been to Baca? Doesn't Baca stink? Baca stinks. But he says they're going to go through Baca. You're going to go through Baca. But look what happens when they do. They make it this dry place, a place of, what? of springs. The early rain covers it with pools. It's it's so. So wet that there's puddles. They go from strength to strength. How can that be? It's dry, it's weary, it's miserable, it's depressing, it's lonely, it's all those things. How can it be wet? How can it be refreshing? How can it be a strengthening thing? He told us back in verse five, when their heart is in Zion, Bacchah is not so bad. When they're thinking about getting to their destination, and the presence of God and what he has for him and the blessing, the valley, even though it stinks, it, it's not so bad. And that, and that is the next lesson from this, this custodian slash security guard. See, when cancer hits in Baca, and depression hits in Baca, and when you get fired in Bacah and when you get dumped in Bacah and when life is not where you want it to be in Baca. The only thing that gets you out of Bacchah is thinking about where you are going. And he says, and he says I love that he, he's very personal here. He says, each one, it's singular. Each one does appear before God in Zion in verse seven. You are each one gonna go. But the only way to make it strongly through those places and be refreshed is to remember where you're going. Because if, you, if, you're gonna, if you're in the valley and you're gonna try to mask it with, with prescription drugs or alcohol or social media or another activity or another relationship, that's just gonna keep you wandering around Baca. And what this, this, this security guard is saying is, look up, look at Zion. And as you walk through Baca and you'll go back through Baca, you'll be stronger. And eventually you'll get where you're going. Those with kids and minivans understand this. You've been in the minivan, you're going to grandma's house, and someone is screaming, and it it doesn't matter what you do, you can give them 73 Tylenol PMs, you can feed them, you can do whatever, you can sing songs, you can go back there, you can break the law, take them out of the car seat. It does not matter, they will not stop screaming. Or maybe it's your kids are older and it's, they're touching me, tell them to stop my line, he's crossing my line and then when do we have to go? You just had one of those trips. And the only hope for you to not to go to prison <laughs> is that you remember we're almost there. I'm gonna be there and we're gonna be fine. It's to count down those mile markers, it's to pull out the phone 37 miles, Thirty-three miles, seventeen miles, almost there. Is to think about. You know, some of you who are still driving the sporty little cars, you'll get the minivan one day. You'll get this, okay? I promise you. (laughs) you. You'll remember this sermon. That's all you'll remember from it. But you'll remember this. But the only hope is to remember where you are going, and what is there, and that is that's what he's saying, and that's what the New Testament teaches too. That's what Paul teaches. I consider the sufferings, the baka of this present time, are not worth comparing with the glory that is at the top, it's at Zion. This light momentary affliction, the baka, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Where? In Zion, beyond all comparison. This is exactly what Jesus the Savior did, who the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him in Zion, endured the baka, the cross, despising the shame, and now he's seated at the right hand. This is the model. When you go through Baka, what is this guy saying? Your only hope is to remember where you're going, and he seems to be there. I mean, verse eight, he's crying out, "Oh Lord!" It's a passionate in the Hebrew. It's just emphatic. "Oh Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O oh God of Jacob." He's on. He's in Baka himself, but he knows where he's going. And he knows that the sovereign God of the universe for some reason has him in Baka. And if you're in the middle of Baka right now, you can have hope that the sovereign God of the universe has you there. I don't know why, because I can't stand Baka. I'll be honest. But I know that God is preparing in me and in us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comprehension. And that gives me hope. And you know what he says again then? Think about it. Think about it. Take some time. Think about what's coming. And then you take your eyes. It's the old, the old song from the 70s. Some of you know it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow what? Strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. Can you learn a lesson from a little green guy? Closeness, this is where satisfaction is. Strength in Baka comes from looking to Zion and he's got one more lesson. And this is where the song gets big. I mean, if there was drums playing, they were loud at this point because the climax of the song is coming. He says in verse nine, behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed. It seems out of place. He's praying for the king. Our shield and our anointed is the king. Why would he pray for the king? Where does the king live? In Jerusalem. What else is in Jerusalem? The temple. As goes the king, so goes the nation. If the king is a putz, the nation falls apart, the temple falls apart. When the king is good and righteous, the temple is protected and all goes well. And he says, I I don't want anything to happen to that place. So God, guard the king. Because, the word for, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. And in the Hebrew, better is right up front. I think the NIV gets it right here, and it puts it, better is one day. Right up front, better, good, one day in your courts. Think about the ideal day. What would it be like for you? Where would you go? How about the ideal week? Some of you going on vacation in a few weeks, maybe this week, maybe you've been on vacation. My favorite time of the year is when I go on vacation with the family. I have a little Clark W. Griswold in me, all right? And I have delusions of grandeur sometimes, maybe, but I love getting away with the family. Look forward to it, right? Wouldn't trade anything for it. What would would you trade for the perfect day for the perfect week? How about for the perfect three years? You had the ideal three years, three years of a cruise, three years living at the Biltmore, I don't know, three years, whatever, traveling the globe and the best restaurants and the best hotels and the best everything, the Orient Express, whatever. Three years of that. You know what this guy says? I would rather have one in God's presence than a thousand in the best places in the world. I would rather, he says, be a doorkeeper, an invisible guy at the door who cleans up the mess of everybody else at night And no one even knows that I'm there. I would rather be that guy in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness, to live with Bill Gates, to live at the Trump Towers and be the king. I would rather be that. Now, this guy's not super spiritual guy saying this. He's not saying, well, you go to the Bahamas three years and I'll go to church. That's not what he's saying. I'll go to the church in Bahamas for three years, okay? (laughs) But what he's making is a value statement. He is saying, how valuable, how precious, how good is God? So good that to be with him just for one day is better than, and maybe he's just rounding up to the highest number he knows. But he's saying, anywhere else is not as good, even if I'm there for years. Just give me one day. And he's teaching his final lesson in this song, his lesson about the goodness of God and about enjoying God. And here it is, that we are to enjoy God. The goodness of our God, of the living God, of the sovereign God. You got some some old kind of under the radar Presbyterians here, right? I know you're here and you're clapping hands and there's drums. I know you're here though. What is the chief aim of man? To glorify God and do what? Enjoy him forever. Do you believe that? To enjoy him? I fear that some of us don't. That we live miserable because we believe that God wants us miserable. We believe, if we're honest, that, God, that that walking a Christian life is like pledging for a frat or going to boot camp. We gotta put up with our, put, get, take our licks, and then we'll get in. Is that the heart of God? I mean, just the Psalms, look, look at these real quick. Taste and see that the Lord is harsh, mean, they feast on the abundance of your house. You give them the drink from the river of your harshness. I mean, your delights. In your presence, there is fullness of misery. Is that what it says? At your right hand are hardships evermore. Look at the psalmists. Is this what Jesus told you? Yes, he said you're going to go through bacchus, but he says, I've come to give you life, and life what? Abundantly. Isn't that what he promises? Isn't the fruit of the Spirit joy? To enjoy God forever. There's a view that Christians cannot have fun, especially at church. Don't have fun at church. Be miserable. Please don't. Well, if you want to be miserable, I'll send you a list of places. Okay. If you want to go. (laughs) I was just thinking about this this week. Just the goodness of God in little things that we... We just failed to miss. Got to hang out the other night my family with one of our old friends and their kids. And we hung out at Chick-fil-A and it was two hours and it went like 15 minutes. I was like, this is good. Just hanging out with friends. Is it God good to give us friends, to give our kids friends, to give us Chick-fil-A, to give us milkshakes? I mean, that's good. We laugh, but that's a goodness of God. I mean, you can enjoy a milkshake in the name of Jesus and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. God gives good things that he wants us to enjoy. He doesn't want us to worship. Go back to the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2. God creates everything and it is good. He makes man and woman and lets them be naked, run around, and that is good. And everything he says is enjoy what I've created. Enjoy my goodness. Just don't do one thing. It's just one. So if you believe that God is not good, it's because you're believing the snake in Genesis 3 who says God's not good. He's keeping stuff from you. Because the scripture is clear that God is good, that he is good. And the proof is the fact that he did not spare his own son. If he gave you his best, what more can he give you? He gave you his son who died on a cross in your place for your sins, and you hated him, and he died for you anyway. How good is God? And he goes into it. The psalmist says, he says, the Lord is, is a son and he's a shield. The idea there is he, he protects and he provides and he gives sustenance and he gives life. He's good. He bestows favor. That's the word for grace. He gives grace and honor. He has called you his child. He, is, he has made you his, his heir. And I love no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing. Our problem when we hear that is we think, Powerball. All right, Lord. I'll win the Powerball and I'll build us a building. Right? A uh, good thing to us is two sizes smaller, six inches taller, a few more zeros at the end, a few more bedrooms, a few more horsepower, whatever. And no good thing is not necessarily those things. No good thing ultimately is I give you myself. That's what I give you. And I gave it to you because of my son. Do you believe that God is good? Do you believe? If you don't, in the words of a little go, little green guy, that is why you fail, that's Yoda. But that's what he says here in verse 12. Oh Lord of hosts, blessed, here's your final blessing. Blessed is the one who does what? Who believes, who trusts. That's the content one, the one who knows that God is good, that knows his character and believes it. Even when I'm in baka, there is some reason I'm in baka, and God is doing something because his character and his nature is good. And, and look, some of you will never enjoy God until you take him at his word and believe that he is good. Even, and you can't let experience be your teacher. You have to go back to the truth of God's word and what he has done. He gave you his son. What more could he give? He is good. He has given eternal life through those who believe he is good. God is most glorified, as Piper has so well said, when we are most satisfied in him. Are you satisfied in him this morning? Here's this security guard, this invisible guy, stands at the gates, maybe yawns a little bit, maybe counts his his hours till the tabernacle temple closes so he's gotta clean up and go home and do it again. He says, I have a couple lessons for you. Number one, there's nothing like being close to God. Number two, when you're in your baka, the only strength you have is to remember where you're going. And number three, remember God is good and enjoy him. Three great lessons. And what we want to do, we want to salah. As a church, we want to salah. We want to have a musical interlude and we want to think. That's what the song's written for. On the guitar, for you guys to think. We're just gonna have a time as a church to think about the fact that God is good, to think about that he has given himself, given himself to us through his son, access. And if you're if you're here and you're not a Christian, that you would think about the fact that God loves you so much that he has sent his son so that you could have eternal life. And it comes only through believing in him, not through going to church or giving money or getting baptized. You believe that you are a sinner separated and that he has given you access to himself, through Jesus Christ, that's where it comes, so that you can salah and think about that. It's a time for us to worship, okay? It's not a time for you to go and, I'm gonna rededicate to doing 70-hour quiet times. No, it's a time for you to say, I wanna think about what God has done, that God is with us, the hope of glory, and that we would just live in response to that. And so I ask the team to come, let me pray. First song, you guys just kinda sit and reflect and think about the words. We've chosen songs, most of them based right out of these psalms that reflect on what God has done and what our response will be. And so let's, let's respond. Let's, as he did, when we think about it, we'll sing for joy and respond that way. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us access to yourself. For the person here that's doubting your goodness because they're in Bacchah, let them see what you have done. For the person who's struggling with dryness, let them put their hope in where they're going. Let us seek you and desire you and see how lovely you truly are. How lovely is your dwelling place. Let us us long and pine for your presence. For Christ's name's sake, I pray.